0: Don't, don't give up on life Don't because the opportunity is not there. I'm talking to black, white, or what have you. The unimperable. Don't give up because I didn't give up. I was 83 years old before I won a uh, Grammy.
1: On today's show, I'm joined by legendary bluesman, the king of the Chitlin Circuit himself, Mr. Bobby Rush, whose outlook on life after years playing with Muddy Waters, Helen Wolf, and more is as positive as it is meaningful. His story is told in his new autobiography, I'm Not Studnia My American Blues Story. And today, we have the pleasure of sharing with you some of that story directly from the man himself. That's tonight on Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll. My name is Chris Kosach. I created this program to highlight music in the printed form, a music club dedicated to band biographies, artist memoirs, and stories from the road. This is Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll. Track 21, Bobby Rush. Uh, Mr. Rush, welcome to the show. Well,
0: thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: According to your book rock and roll would not exist if not for the rhythm and blues so officially (laughs) we are changing the name of our series today it's called text pros rhythm and blues you okay with that
0: i'm okay with that i'm okay with that
1: (laughs) fantastic all right so you were born in louisiana as emmett ellis jr how did you choose your stage name bobby rush
0: oh it was uh, easy on one hand hard on the other but easy to come up with the name but it's I was looking for a name that sounds like a presidential name. I uh, I, I wanted the name, I wanted President Eisenhower or President Truman, and then just and look, Bobby Truman, uh, Bobby Eisenhower, or something like that. But then again, when I thought about those kind of names, I just wanted something to sound big. Because being a country boy, I didn't know any big name other than presidential kind of a name. So then I started looking for a name that had one syllable, you notice nobody called me Bobby. Nobody called me Rush. Everybody called me Bobby Rush. There's plenty of Rushes, plenty of Bobbies, but I ain't for one Bobby Rush.
1: Now you have so many great stories. You talk about yourself being a country boy. So you went from Louisiana to Arkansas, kind of from a tiny town to tiny town. Tell us that great story that you write about in the book of how you discovered music and building that first diddly bow. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, but, but I didn't know anything about a Dilly, but my my first cousin gave me my first guitar when I was about seven, eight years old. But then a little before that time, I had built a guitar upside the wall from a from a hay baling wire, and I put a brick at the top and a bottle at the bottom, and it sounded like the Mo Janis. And and one day the brick fell off and hit me in the head and stopped my head to bleeding, and then I got real smart. Two minutes later, when to stop the blood from flowing, and I changed a, a brick at the bottom and put the ball at the top, so if it fall again, it wouldn't, at least it wouldn't hit me in the head. You know, and at that time, all I know was my homemade guitar. Later, later on, I found out the diddly bowl. Diddly bowl come from just me being uh, having knowledge of someone's called a diddly bowl. I didn't know anything about Dillibo. To me, it was my guitar, you know? And and, then that's that's where I started from, you know? And my first instrument on a, that was a rubber band on a stick and I put a coin cob on each end of it and I would play it from my mouth like a juice harp. That kind of a thing. And I kind of relate that to the wall I never saw anyone with that, but myself and my daddy who helped me make it. I don't know where it come from. I just wanted a guitar, didn't have no way of buying me one, didn't know anything. So I wanted that sound. And so finally I built one, like a guy had told me he saw one built. Then later after I built it, I saw somebody had built one, and I learned how to build it a little bit better as I I got older to look and learn. And here I am, uh, 70 years later, I'm still doing it.
1: Give me chills. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you talk, I mean, you're from the land of the blues uh, in the Delta area, but uh, well, maybe not the Delta, but you're from the land of the blues, but then you went to Chicago to discover the blues up there. And that's where you, you sat in with all these guys, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, B.B. Uh, King, all these other amazing people. I want to know when you were sitting in that room. Did you realize that there was greatness happening, or was it just another Tuesday night?
0: No, just another night. Another guy I was sitting with. In fact, I disrespected a lot of things because I didn't know. I didn't know about the, the guys who were been so great. I was going to be so great. I didn't know when I was sitting with Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. I remember show you how I took things for granted. Mother Water invited me to his birthday party. I think he was 28, 29 years old, invited me to a birthday party. Motherwater's Water's not 28 years old. I'm just a kid. And I forgot his birthday party. That's how much it meant to me, you know? Because he was an old man. I'm like 17, 18 years old. He 28, 29 years old. and And when I went to the party, the party was over, because I forgot it, took it for granted. And and uh, he said, come on up, blood, to the back room. Come on up to the back door, come upstairs, because the party was over. We got a lot of people upstairs. When I went there, that was a couple guys, but most of them was ladies. They had to the dress all up to everywhere. You could see everything, but but Chicago under the dress, because there wasn't much, that much dress, real short. And they were old ladies. One lady said, I'm 26. One said, I'm 29. One lady said, I'm 35, 36 years old. I sneaked out the back door. 36 years old? Are you kidding? How old you have to be? <laughs> I laugh about that now. 26 to 35 years old. I thought that was old. So I sneaked off and left. So I'm saying that to you. I took it for granted. I didn't know about the greatness I was around. Didn't know where I was getting into. I just, it uh, just was another day to me. I'm Later on, I started recording, found out that Muddy Water and Holland Wolf, Lightning, Hawkins, Jimmy Reed, Pick Meek Mockham, Mom Mavely, uh, Bo Dilley, uh Lil Walter, uh, Sonny Ball Williams, and all these guys. I, I was around as a young man, and they loved me, and I and I loved them for the music, but I took a lot of things for granted. So so I, I didn't take advantage of a lot of things that was down for me, because I didn't know, you know?
1: You talk about all these kings of the blues, all these names. Well, you are the king of the Chitlin Circuit. Can you explain what the Chitlin Circuit is?
0: Well, Chitlin Circuit has been written a lot of ways and a lot of time about different people. But really, the Chitlin Circuit, the best my knowledge of it, and I think I'm right about it, is really not a juke joint. It's really not the club itself. It's what people offer you for pay. Most of time, it was a place to stay in somebody's house, I'll give you the food to eat. I remember back in 1951 or 52, I went to Argo, Illinois. The man liked me so well, he'd give me three chitlin's plates and three and four hamburgers. I would eat one and sell three. I would eat one chitlin plate and sell the other one for 25 cents a piece. So that's three times 25, I'm getting times six, you know? So so I'm making a dollar and a half, maybe a dollar 50 cents a night just on my food, which I wouldn't give him a three dollars a night as playing in the band, but my food and probably make it another dollar tip. Sometime I was making six or seven dollars a night. That was a lot of money back in nineteen fifty one. And then I went. Then the main said, "Well, Bobby Rich, uh you can play up. Have a. We were playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then I got me you on know, started playing on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Added two more days, but the guy would let me pay for, uh, play for the door." And I am only getting 20, 25 cents people to come in. But I had Muddy Water to kind of boost me up and I gave Muddy Water $5.50 a night on a Wednesday night to come and play for me. How about that? $5.50, you know? Yeah,
1: but that, that was that was decent change though back then, right? Yeah,
0: back then, you know, you make, you know. And then coming from where I come from, from Louisiana, uh, I was making uh, sometimes 10 and 15 cents an hour and I finally got it up to $2 a day. That was a lot of money back in 1951, 49 to 51, 52, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of money. Let me tell people a little, a little something to say. I was born in Hainesville, home of Louisiana, but I left in 1947 and went to Pine Bluff, Arkansas with my father. That's when I met the B.B. B. King, the Mud and Water, and the Howlin' Wolf. Then I didn't have enough money to go to Chicago, so I migrated, by the way, of Memphis while B.B. B. King, Sonny Boy Williamson, Rufa Thomas was working on Beale Street. I went to Beale Street and worked for a week and made enough money to go to East St. Louis for Albert King and Chuck Berry was. And they, they gave me a little work and I made enough money to go to Chicago, which was on my way because at that time, the white and black issue thing was so permanent in the South because they had the color fountain not not black and white. Then but was color fountain and the white fountain. You had to go to the back door if you want to order food. You had to and the movie was separated. Where uh, most time upstairs was black people and downstairs was white. But then they reversed it later on. The black downstairs and the white was up for whatever reason that was. And then uh, all the other things and the places you could not go because you were you were a black musician a black person. Period. Then I said, I'm going to Chicago, going to Illinois as well with more freedom. I can do more for myself and my family, and I can make a better name for myself because that place you can go in Illinois that you can't go in Louisiana, or Arkansas, Mississippi, or the Delta or whatever. But when I got in Chicago, I was looking for my heaven, and I run into a brick wall called J.B. Illinois and Muddy Water, taking me to a place in a suburb of Chicago, Blue Island. Well, it was a white club. I thought it was a big club at the time because it's 50, 5, five, even close to 100. But that's not many people, but big from where I would come from. And the main trip me to the back door. I had to play every night behind a curtain where they wanted to hear my music but not see my face. Now my, 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 I'm up because what I was looking for in the north, I don't find it. I find it even worse than it was in the southern states. So now I don't know where to go. I'm at a a brick wall in my life as a musician, as a black man. Then I said, well, I'm going to go down to to Chess and get me a contract and record for Muddy Waters and Hollow Wolf. What I wrote in this book, how things happened, when I went, mail London with a guy taking me, he and Willie Dixon taking me to the Chess record. Bo Dillard was there, Muddy Waters was there, Holland Woods wasn't there. Johnny Hooker was there. Jimmy Reed was there. Uh, Lou Walter was there. Uh, and I said, uh, I'm glad to be here, guys. I hope uh, the Chess Brothers give me a chance to record. So uh, there was a pamper on the table. And I read the pamper off the table because the union was merging. It was one union, but they had two divisions in the union. I uh, said, so since they're merging, now I got a chance where well, the white musician would get represented, they would represent the black musician. I said it's gonna be good now because we can represent equally uh, as as a white musician. So uh one guy said where well, you get that information I said off to the desk so Bo Diddley was sitting there he laughed and I read it to him and by that time the other brother walked in and so said what you laughing about he said oh, uh, they laughing at Barbara Russia. Talking about the union he's a what union he said, what's what, what the information about the union? He said, he got it off your desk. He said, oh, he threw it to me. He said, read that, boy, and said it in that matter. I read it to him. He turned around said, brother, so we can't use that nigga because he can read. So I didn't get the contract with Chess to record because I could read. So I made a mistake of showing that I could read. And then when they had another I could read, I, they, in their heart, I guess, they figured that I could read that, I could read a contract that I wouldn't be good for them and business. So I never got the job for, uh, recording that shift. I did record it shift, but not for them.
1: The language that you heard, it we just, my age, our generation, we just don't hear it like you heard it. And it just, it blows my mind, but it, that's why your book I ain't saidня is so important because it gives us a taste of what the music industry was like back in the day. And and you, you know you regret reading that out loud, but the truth of the matter is you saved yourself too a whole lot of heartache.
0: Well, I, I want to save it because Serena, I'm telling this book. mean I'm telling you the story of the book because I want people to go away not feeling sorry for me uh, about what happened, just knowing what happened and the way I came out of it. Because ain't nothing really have changed. Because most of things have changed remain the same. We can see, see that already as we, look, as we look around. But I want you to come away looking at this book and reading this book saying that if I made it out of this dump, you can too. Don't give up. Nobody, don't, don't give up on life Don't because the opportunity is not there. I'm talking to black, white, or what have you. The unimperable. Don't give up. Because I didn't give up, I was 83 years old before I won a uh, Grammy. That, that that not because I didn't have records out. This is my 397 record that I won the record I won the Grammy this year on 397 record. I had many records sold as much or more than the one I won the Grammy. But but God have have His way and have His time for everyone. I'm not talking about I didn't have no ups and downs, but I had a lot of ups and downs. But my bad is rough, but my good overshadow all my ups and downs. And it's not just about a black and a white issue with me, because black people as a whole have did some dirt to me also. But then there have been some black people did some good far and for me and to me. But there are some white people did the same thing far and to me. So everybody ain't bad. Every police ain't bad that but but the, there's a few bad apples spoil the whole barrel. but everybody ain't bad and we must take the good out of the this bad bunch and make life out of it and get up and walk uh with our chest out and do the best we can and love each other and make something out of life other than the depth of it
1: never done drugs you you're not a drinker you're the son of a preacher do you attribute your positive outlook to faith in your father and what he taught you
0: i don't know but i think that had a lot to do with it my father bring it up i had three beers in my lifetime never drank smoked, it had no form of facts i did so many but i got so many other things that's wrong with me i'm not talking about i'm just upright kind of a guy i'm a i'm a uh Blue thing but I'm a biblical study, not a religion. It's a biblical study because the Bible is a roadmap to my life. And it tells me what I should or should not do. And I often talk about mistakes. If you learn from your mistake, it's really not a mistake. It's a stepping stone to what you should or should not do. And you get up and you don't wallow in it. You just get up. I'm a person. If anybody ever saw my show, i talk to me. They can tell that I have no bones to pick with anyone. I have nothing on. I have no chip on my shoulder. about buy nothing because most of the things happened to me was lack of opportunity in my and myself. I didn't have a chance to to get the education that I should have, and I, and and I was born as a black man, which is which is which is a disadvantage in a lot of ways because that people don't respect you being a black man for what you are. But listen, I'm human like anyone else. I didn't say that. I didn't have some ups and downs. I have some bad things in my life, you know. And uh, I know I've been taught I must love everyone, and I, I can't say I love everybody to the same extent because that's the people who did me dirt. I feel good about them, want them to do me better, but I don't feel good enough to them to keep doing me wrong and being in the face. So I try to diss myself on the people who don't appreciate me. I don't respect what I do. I believe in. Who- my steps and ways of life. You don't have to like me. I have to try to be good at what I do. So, if you don't like me, you say, "Well, I don't, I don't like Barbara Marley, but damn, he's good." That's all what matters to me.
1: You tell a story in the book about how James Brown really screwed you over. I don't think you're the only one he did that to. But if he were, oh, right, no, no. If he were here right now, would you give him a piece of your mind, or would you? I
0: probably, I probably go to jail. Can you go to jail for kicking a man? <laughs> I know, I know. No, I, no I, I I was bitter about it, but I think he did what he do to most people. I think he did it to me because he knew I didn't know how to protect myself. And then and, and, and he saw a fool come and he bumped my head. So I'm, I'm not blaming him. I'm not sure so about that because uh, what he did to me, I let it happen because I didn't know not to let it happen. I was trying to be good to him when he come out of, uh, got out of jail because I respected him for what he did. He was my leader. And I tried to help myself by helping him. And it didn't didn't work. You know, he took advantage of it. And I think deep down inside, he knew that I didn't know
1: All right, I just got a couple more questions for you. This is the best conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Maybe James Brown didn't treat you well, but Little Richard said you were pretty in front of thousands of people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He embarrassed me. Little Richard embarrassed me. Listen, I mean, I'm laughing now because there's so many things I can cry about, but so many things I can laugh about. I, I came off the stage in Georgia just many, many, many years ago. We both were young men. And he was, I thought he was going to talk about how good my show was. He said, i got to tell you something about Barberos. And he took a little time telling me. Because somebody was kind of heckling me. And, and, and he was talking back to the people. And I'm, getting, I'm ready to get to the point. He said, ladies and gentlemen, don't go nowhere Barberos. That's what he said to me as he was talking to the audience. And he said, the two, he didn't say anything. He said, two prettiest men in the world now is Myself and Bobby Rush, and I was embarrassed. And I mean, you know, to be pretty, you know, like that's feminine to me, you know. And so, I take it in another way. And he was trying to take it as he was my friend, which I appreciate that. But when he told me, told the people that I was pretty, that means, you know, that didn't fit good with me being pretty, being handsome, yes, but not pretty, if you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: You didn't write about it in the book. I guess this happened afterwards. But you played China. You're the first bluesman to play China. What was that like?
0: Let me start back with something I mentioned in the book. By, I, I had time to mention something about the Grammy in the book. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to write about that because, because that seemed like a brag a pat on the back. I didn't want, I'm not here because I get award. I want people to know I'm here because I'm good at what I do. And, 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 and I'm being true to myself because I crossed over and never crossed out. I always talk about me being a blues man and a black blues man at that. And I'm proud of that, you know. And I know there's some hardship come along with that. But I got to swing with it. I was born like this. Reena I say that to you like that because I, I never talked about this opening into this book. Because there's no black people on my mom's side. I, my mom is blue eyes, blonde hair. And she was my babysitter most of the time when we was in the public. And she was my mama when I got home at night. My daddy was a chauffeur for my mama. He was a husband and he was my father when we got home at night. I lived that kind of sheltered kind of life because my mom had to do all the dealing for me and dealing for the family when we was out in public because she the one to save my daddy's life because they wanted to know why was this black man married to this white woman. Mm-hmm. And he we always call, he always called slack about that. But I never knew where my daddy knew everything about what my mama had to do for his freedom, for his life. I don't think he did. If he did, he was smart enough to hide it. Because I remember three guys came up one day and said my mother's name Maddie. She asked me, they asked my so Maddie, so what you doing with this nigga? My mother said, I'm a nigger, too. He, they said, oh, no, you're not. She said, ask Mr. Bear. Mr. Bear was a white man in the store. So she got out the wagon and went in the store. When she left me, she was my mama. But shortly after she left me, she was, I was, her, she was babysitting me. I could tell now when I look on it, her reaction Because When she walked in the store, she wasn't a black woman. She was a white woman among those white men in that store. Because I could see their flirting. I could see their laughter. I could see, they, I could hear them talking, friendly talk. You follow me? And when my daddy came back, my daddy loaded the hay in the wagon, and we left. So he never knew that my mama would probably protect his life. And, and I didn't know even until I got, when I looked back on it, got grown and looked back on it, that she protected me and my father. And I and I remember that a lot of times she used to send me to the store with money in a in a little sock of wagon a wagon like a hench tied up, mm-hmm. but one day I cheated. I, I since she had a dollar and a quarter or something like that, in a, in a, and I went to get some sugar and thing. She said, "Now give this to Mister Bear, which was a white man." She said, "Who this time?" I said, "From my mama." And then she said, "Who your mama?" I said, "From Maddie." I had to say who it bought her name, and I gave it to him, and and I got the food, whatever, and I sneaked it, opened open the money bag up on my way back to the house. The same money was in this that she sent was the same money I was bringing back to the house. Now I cheated that because they didn't take the money, and my daddy never knew where the food was coming from, or how it came by.
1: I know you don't want to toot your own horn. I get that. But I got to know how this honorary doctorate degree from Rhodes College happened.
0: It happened over the period of years. Some time I've been going to Rhodes College now for about uh, 10 years. It took about 10 years because this happened, happened. And this all fit for me because of what I did with the college, what I thought about the college, and what the friendship that I gained with people who work at the college, they decided to, to, to kind of do this for me because I had put so much time and effort into the, the student and the things I did with the student and fathers. Student, they thought it was worth giving that to me, and I appreciate it. So I, it's one of the best thing ever happened to me. It's, it's it's not my first one. I have two other colleges, two college Colleges, uh, and 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 Ball State also have the same thing from those two black schools. That's that's what a lot of things don't because they are black schools, sometimes they're not talked about, just like black history, black things, and what black people have done, not really taught in school. And that's part of intentional thing too, you know?
1: Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, because the last year has been, you know, Black Lives Matter has been at the forefront of of this nation's uh, discussion. And it's so necessary and so long, long overdue. Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Do you see a place where we're all equal and just human beings, or do you see history repeating itself?
0: Uh, I'm hoping that 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 that, that, the, that the light at the tunnel is a true light that I see, but i'm I'm afraid that it's going to repeat itself because everything's shame remains the same. Uh, now of uh, the black and white issue been issue with me all my life, and Floyd wasn't the only man that ever had a foot on his neck. Because, from a from a privilege standpoint, I've been had a foot on my neck for years and years, uh, and and a lot of other people. Not only just black black and white, because they they made a law that you must treat a man equal, but they never made a law which you do with a man or a woman hard. Because you can't control that. Change the law, but you didn't change the heart. It's almost like a man is a wife beater. He beats his wife. He learned not to beat his wife. He still is a wife beater who learned not to beat his wife. But when you don't have a desire to beat your wife, that's, what, that's what's important. When you don't have a desire to do this, not because the law says it's against the law to do it. Now we have uh, some changes happen to me, to me as a, as a black race, to, to all of us. We have the uh, our Juneteenth Day now as a legal holiday. I'm happy about what it is, but I'm not happy about, I'm, a, I'm afraid that the uh, political people is giving it up like more because it's, it's a black issue. Here you can have Juneteenth Day. But we're gonna take your right to vote away from you over here. Mm-hmm. So you won't notice me taking these votes away from you. So here, 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 your sandwich, uh, some fried chicken in this boat. This I'm, I'm using it like, here, you some fried chicken. While you're eating your chicken, we're gonna take this vote right away from you. So we gotta be careful of the bear walking around with a monkey's head. And I think, I think Bobby Rush, as a whole, have molded out a place in life that I can show people my walk of life. Hopefully that somebody will walk in my shoes and help themselves out of a situation. Because I survived this rat race, not because I was so good, because I was so blessed, because my life been like a mark on a wagon wheel. You mark a mark on a wheel and roll it down a hill. If it rolls back to you, you're a special, lucky, and blessed man. My mark had came back to me twice, maybe three times at my age. So that's no doing of someone else. That God has allowed me a chance to do this. Because I want you to know that uh, when I think about what it could have been, I'm so thankful for what it is because it could have been worse. And I'm not talking about I'm satisfied with everything about the Juneteenth Day. That's fine about the Juneteenth Day, but we got people, especially the black people in position to vote for this date. They got to be careful about you giving, giving one thing and taking something else away. I'm sorry about the political side of me.
1: No, do not apologize to me. Are you kidding? We need to have dialogue about that. We absolutely do. if. if if there's a reason to sing the blues, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah.
0: You know? But you know what you and I want people to know, yes, I'm a black man. The blues came really from the uh, blues come from the uh the real music. And most time it's from the black guy, but the white guys are doing it too. But it's okay, everybody do the blue. Everybody can have the blue. But just when you do it, tell where it's come from. That's all what matters now. You know, don't don't act like you created it. You follow me? Some of some of the guys who play the blues, do it right and tell where it comes from, you know? And I can tell you Ed Clappin and uh, Bonnie Ray, people like that, always tell where it comes from. I just mentioned a few a few others too, but are a few others play the blues and don't tell where it come from. like they created it. And they fan base think they created it. They forget about Muddy Water, started this thing. Not really started. He was one of the ones who started it. Even come before that, you know.
1: Thank you again so much for your time. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about that I didn't mention?
0: Well, it's too much in the book to mention to talk about in one day. But I can tell you what, by the book, and, and, and you'll see a lot of things I haven't talked about. I want to let you know that I haven't been perfect, but everything I've uh, said in the book is true. Well, maybe a couple things not true. I <laughs> said I wouldn't sleep with a fat woman no more. I lied about that one. You know, <laughs> but but I, but I laugh and joke about it because I want people to know I'm not perfect. I just try to do the best I can do. That's the that's decision that I made at the time. If I had to make the decision again, I'd probably make the same decision or do the same thing. Because when I made the decision to do it then, whether it was right or wrong, I did, I made the best decision I knew how to make for myself at the moment. Oh yeah, yeah, and I've been up and been down I've, I've been, I've been, I've been to jail for things I shouldn't have done, but I also uh, didn't go to jail for some things I didn't call done.
1: I ain't Stegnye. My American Blue story is now available in hardback and Kindle editions, but I'd suggest the audiobook where Mr. Rush tells his story directly. You'll find I ain't Stegnye on Hatchet Books. And be sure to visit BobbyRushBluesman.com to keep up with the king of the Chitlin circuit. (laughs) If you can keep up with him, that is. Here's this week's liner notes. Text, pros, and rock and roll was created, written, and produced by yours truly in association with Goto Productions' Charlene Goto producer. The music at the top of today's show comes directly from Mr. Bobby Rush. You'll find Bobby's catalog on his own label, Deep Rush Records, available wherever you get music. And a very special thank you for allowing us to play a clip of the song that lends itself to Bobby's autobiography. Other music this week comes to us from Slink and Mr. stavelina and Track Tribe. Thank you for subscribing to our show and if you don't already please consider doing so you can follow us on instagram at text pros rock and roll or reach out to us on our website text pros rock and where we do take requests for text pros and rock and roll i'm chris kosach rock on